All right, let's see if we could jar the memory a little bit. How about this one? Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's... So you guys, you guys were there. You were there. You had it. You guys were there. All right. Now we're awake, right? Now how could they look up in the sky and say it's a bird or a plane? That was Superman. But you know, even more problematic from wrongly identifying a fictional character like Superman as a bird or a plane is wrongly identifying who Jesus Christ is. To identify him anything other than Lord and God is wrong. That's who he is. But some throughout the last couple thousand years have described him in various ways. Some would say he's just a good man. Others would say he's just a good teacher. And others would say, well, he's a good prophet. And some think he's more like a genie in a bottle or maybe even a magic eight ball or a Santa in the sky. You know, he's the one that they would go to only if they're in a pinch or if they have a need. They want some type of physical blessing. Well, this morning, we're gathering together to look at the fourth miracle recorded in the Gospel of John. And besides the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. It's a miracle that most likely we're all most familiar with. It's commonly known as Jesus feeding the 5,000. Familiar with that one? Most of us are. But we're going to see this morning that Jesus is more than a good man. Jesus is more than a good teacher. Jesus is more than a good prophet. He is Lord and God. He is, as the Gospel of John in chapter 1 started off, He is the one who has always existed. He was the one who was with God and the one who was God. He is the one through all things are created through Him, and nothing is created apart from Him. And he is the one that took on flesh and came and dwelt among us. God with us. That is Jesus. That's who we're looking at. He is the light of the world. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he is the only one in whom we are to believe in to have eternal life. He is the one. He is the only one who is able to save us and save all of us who would call upon him. This is Jesus. This morning, if you are taking notes, the title of our message is kind of a play on words this morning. It is more than a prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, prophet. More than a prophet. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open up to John chapter 6. That's where we're continuing the Gospel of John this morning. If you have a bulletin this morning, the text is also inside your bulletin this morning. And once you get there, if you could rise to your feet for the honoring of the public reading of God's Word. We're looking at John chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 1 through 15 from the ESV this morning. Starting in verse 1 of John chapter 6, we read, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain. And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread 
so that these people may eat. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here that has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew himself again to the mountain by himself. So reads God's inerrant, infallible, and holy word. Please be seated, church. So again, a miracle that many of us are familiar with. And like I said earlier, besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. And from that we can conclude there's an importance of this miracle. So what is the point of John writing his Gospel? Many of you know this by now if you've been coming week after week. John writes that in chapter 20 of his Gospel. In chapter 20, verse 31, we read why he recorded these things. He wrote, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the focus of this entire Gospel of John is on the deity of Christ. That we might know that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord. And what matters to us is that we believe in him. That we believe in him, that we would trust in him, that we would have eternal life. Many of you know each of the gospel writers all had a different angle on the way they wrote their gospels. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, and he focused on Jesus as the coming king, the one they were waiting for. Mark wrote to a Gentile audience, and he focused on Jesus as the suffering servant, the one who came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Luke also wrote to a Gentile audience, but he focused on the humanity of Christ. But here we have John, and John is dialing in on the deity, that Jesus is God. If you're taking notes this morning, maybe later you can review view the other passages from the other Gospels. You can write them down. It's also in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Mark chapter 6, verses 32 through 44. And Luke 9, 10 through 17. So as we read through it, some of you had pictures being painted in your minds. Jesus takes simply five loaves, which we'll describe later, which aren't loaves. Like, you know, you go to Albertsons, you go to the store, and there's that big loaf sitting there on the way out. That's not what this little boy was carrying around. It's more like we would have, we would make like a crab cake or, or have a rice cake, you know, a little, almost like a cracker. That's what he has. It's a little lunch for a little child. The two fish, most likely pickled fish. They're a snack that he has on the way. But Jesus takes them, and as he does this miracle, some of us in our minds, at least my mind went that way, how is it being reproduced? I mean, how does this just keep going? I imagine like, you know, 
Snickers. You like Snickers? I like Snickers. But imagine you're in Snickers and you take a bite and you're like, man, that's really good. Take another bite and you're like, oh, man, that's good. Get the third bite and you're down to the last bite. You're like, oh, no. I've got one bite left. And then you look down, the whole thing's there again. You're like, oh, here we go again. Man, that was good. Oh, bite number two. That's really good. Bite number three. Oh, man, there it is again, the last bite. What am I going to do? You look down, it's there again. I don't know how it occurred. All I know is that this miracle, they had their fill. They ate till they were satisfied. There was a miracle before them, and there were thousands there that witnessed it. It was one of the miracles on the most grandest scale of witnesses that they all saw. It. You want to talk about calling people to court to be a witness? There are thousands and thousands that have witnessed this. And what if you were there and you witnessed that? How would you respond to Jesus? What would you think? Would you think, well, he's just a good man. Look, he's taking these little crackers and he's dividing them up. And wow, what a good man that shares. You know, there are some liberal theologians that say this was no miracle at all. They say what really happened is when they found this little lunch sack of this little student, this little kid, that they taught everybody, get out what you have and just share with one another. It was just about sharing. This is true. Liberal theologians will come up and they will tell you this was just a lesson on sharing. Really? That is not what the text says. There is a miracle before us. So let's walk through this account together. Start again in verses 1 and 2. We start at verse 1. It says, after this. Well, after what? John doesn't really say. He doesn't say after what, but after what occurred in chapter 5. Later on in the text, he also says it was near Passover. Chapter 5 started off and said it was around the time of the Feast of the Jews. So if we put everything together, it's at least six months later. It might be a whole year later that we start in chapter 6. So a whole lot of stuff happened in between. John himself said, if I recorded everything that Jesus had done, not all the books in the world could contain all that. So now he's jumping almost six months to a year later. He says, Jesus went away to the other side of the sea, which is the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. By the time of John's writing, that sea had been renamed by the emperor to Tiberias. So it's the same sea. Same thing he's talking about here. He says a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. All right, now first, Jesus, out in ministry. He's out serving people. We know from, from Scripture he's out healing people. He's out being Jesus. And Mark's gospel informs us why he goes to the other side of the sea. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus says to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So Jesus' and disciples, they've been busy, and they've been out serving people. And Jesus says, you know what? We need to get away from the crowd. We need to go to a desolate area so we can go find some rest, and we can also eat. Remember, Jesus, fully God, but fully human. And he looks at his disciples and says, man, we haven't had a break. We need to go across to the other side to get a break. Well, guess what? People are seeing them traveling across. And the people are sure going, we're following them on the shore. Wherever they're going, we're going too. So as they get to the other side, there's a whole bunch of people waiting for them. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 says, When we went ashore, or when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. 
Oh, wait, I want you to slow down and just see the humanity of Christ. The humanity of Christ. First, we're tired. We're hungry. Let's go to a desolate area where no one is. Nobody's over there. And he gets over there and he sees all the people coming up. And what does he do? He has compassion on them. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus would weep over these people that they're lost. That Jesus, the seeking Savior, the one who comes to find those who are lost, he will look at them and have compassion upon them. And he would begin to teach them. Matthew's gospel said that he had compassion on them and that he healed their sick. Now look, church, these weren't people that were saying, you are Lord and God. He just saw their need. And he came and he healed them. He healed their sick. Luke's gospel says that Jesus welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he cured any need of healing that they had. But I want you to think about the people coming. Those, this throng of people who would go across the shore and follow this boat to the other side, what do you think they were going to Jesus for? Something, right? I need something. I need some kind of benefit. This man's doing stuff for people? And I want to go get me some. That's the idea. It's You'd be foolish not to come. You're seeing this man heal people. You're seeing this man bless people. But church, they're not there because they see him as God. They see him there. He's the miracle worker. Let's follow this guy. Let's see what we can profit from him. Hence the title of our message, More Than a Prophet. Continue with me in our text this morning, John chapter 3, or excuse me, John chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. It says, Jesus went up on the mountain. Now, I know a couple of us has been to Israel, been to this area, and you say, what mountain are they speaking of? It's actually speaking of a hill country, a high place. It is not a mountain that we would think of that we're going to go up way, you know, 5,000 feet. It's actually, he goes up the countryside to a high place today called the Golan Heights. And it says, there he sat down with his disciples. And John adds this note and says, it was the Passover time. The feast of the Jews was at hand. Now, I don't know exactly why you put that detail in there. Perhaps it's why so many people are out, why there are so many thousands. They're beginning their trek to Jerusalem for the Passover. We don't know for sure. But what we do know in verse 5, Jesus lifts up his eyes. And seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus turns to Philip. And he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat. Now it's interesting, because if you put all the Gospels together and you read everybody's account, Jesus didn't just come on shore and go, all right, let's feed them. Jesus came on shore. He was teaching them. He was healing them. He was doing ministry with them all day long. And as the day grew on, the disciples actually came to him. And they said, hey, Jesus, um, what are we going to do? You better send them home. You better send them back to go find some food. We're reading in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. It says, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Look what they told Jesus, verse 36. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. What does Jesus say to them? Jesus turns to Philip and says, hey, Philip, where are we going to buy them some bread? Now, the question is, why would he ask Philip? Why not the rest of them? Well, that was his hometown. That's where he was from. Philip would be the one who would know where to go get bread. I love this. This is great. Well, it's not that Jesus didn't know already. It's not like Jesus was like, oh, no, what are we going to do? 
We read in the next verse, John 6, 6, it says, He said that to test him. For Jesus knew himself what he would do. So how does Philip respond to the test? Love what he says. Does he turn to Jesus and say, well, Jesus, you're the creator of all things. Jesus, you're able to do anything. Jesus, provide for them. Is that what Philip did? No. Philip didn't say that at all. Philip responded like many of us do and like I do all too often. Philip wanted to try to figure out and calculate the, the, pro the problem here. What is the problem? Let's figure out the math. How many heads? How much is it going to cost? And he says in verse 7, he turns to Jesus and says, well, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them even to get a little. By the way, it, to try to figure out that much money, it's like eight months of wages. Eight months of wages, he says, would not be enough for this crowd of people to even give them a snack, to give them a nibble. Now, Philip had been walking with Jesus. He's one of the disciples. He's seen Jesus do all these different miracles. He's seen him turn water into wine. He knows that Jesus can create. And yet, how does he respond? Right up here, he started working it out. And church, i got to say, many of us, including myself, we do the same thing. Something happens, and instead of saying, oh, Lord, help, we go, oh, my, how am I going to fix this? Oh, my, what am I going to do? Oh, my, I don't have enough resources for this. That's what Philip was saying. Philip was saying, we don't have it. Even if we had that much money on hand, it would only give them a little nibble. He says, well, we don't have it. So then, it's Andrew's turn. Andrew then, maybe does a little bit better, but not much better. The Gospel of Mark says that Jesus turns to them and he says, go look how many loaves there are amongst the people. So the disciples go out and they come back. And then we pick up in our text, John chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. So we see Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He turns to Jesus and says, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? So he responds. He does what Jesus asked. Find out what's out amongst the people. Well, there's these little, basically five crackers and these two little pickled fish. But he responds in what he thinks too. Like, well, what's that going to do for so many people? How are these meager provisions going to provide for the multitudes? And church, that's us. In whatever situation of life, whether it's financial, and we get to a point like, how is this going to provide for my needs? Instead of, oh God, you are faithful to provide for my needs. God, you will work out a way to provide for my needs. Or, oh, how, how, what am I going to do in this relationship to fix it? How am I going to change that other person? Instead of, oh God, you created me, you created them. God, you work in us for your glory. God's resources are limitless. And the whole point of this is that the disciples will look and say, we've got nothing. There's nothing that we can do to serve these people. Ah, lesson's going to be learned. They've got these barley loaves. Barley, the poorest type of bread that you could find. This is what they have. They've got these pickled fish. And Andrew's saying, it's just not going to work for this many people. So Jesus in verse 10, he doesn't scold Philip. He doesn't scold Andrew. Instead, he says, have the people sit down. Have them sit down. And it says there was much grass in the place. Again, around the time of Passover, it would have been beautiful up on the hillside. It would have been lush grass everywhere, green grass. A perfect time for a picnic. <laughs> Think that happened by chance? That it wasn't later, everything was scorched and hot and burned out. 
It was a perfect time of year for this to take place. So it says the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Now that's interesting. First of all, the other gospels say that when they sat down, they sat them down in groups of 50s and 100s. So imagine us being right here, and imagine there being 100 of these groups, if that was just men. We know from the other gospels, though, it wasn't just men. We even know from this one there was a little boy who had the bread and had the fish. Matthew's gospel, Matthew writes this. He says, those who ate were about 5,000 men. And he says, and also besides, there were women and children. Well, how about that? Well, how many were there? Well, I don't know. Some people say 12,000. Some say 15,000. I've seen some who say there's 20, 25,000 people here. John MacArthur said there's going to be 20, 25,000 people if you would include the whole families who would be trek on their trek to the Passover in Jerusalem. So think about this. Our group here, maybe 200 of these groups sitting out on the lawn. What are you going to do? You've got five crackers and two fish. What are you going to do? I, mean, I know, like, my wife, I'll, I'll bring people to the house, and, and the poor woman's got to cook for people. And she's like, you didn't tell me they were coming over. I'm like, I didn't? Are you sure I didn't? I'm pretty sure we had this conversation. Now, she doesn't make anything out of nothing. She's got to go figure out what we have in the closet, what's in the, in the cupboard, and what she can muster together. Here, Jesus is not panicking. Jesus is not telling the disciples, hey, you didn't tell me there are going to be thousands of people over here. Instead, it's a teaching lesson. Verses 12 and 13. Oh, sorry, verse 11. Excuse me, back up. John chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus takes the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and so also the fish, as much as they wanted. If you read all the Gospels together, it wasn't just Jesus by himself. He and the disciples go out, and they start giving out the stuff. Now, here's what's amazing to me. A lot of people will pick on Philip. They'll pick on Andrew for not having the faith to believe that Jesus can do everything. What if Jesus gave you a cracker and said, hey, go feed that group of 50 people over there? I'd look at the cracker and go, how am I going to do this? Do I give them a flake each? What, what, I mean, what do you do with this cracker? Do I step on it and grind it up and like give them a little piece of powder each? That's all they had. However, it doesn't say none of the gospels mentioned them questioning Jesus at all. Jesus commissioned them, said, go and give it, and they went. Amazing. And not only did the people have enough, they had as much as they wanted. Every other gospel said they ate until they were satisfied. Church, I don't, I don't know how that happens. I mean, I mean there's, there's no explanation other than he's God. He can do as he pleases. He can create something out of nothing. We can't do that. The disciples couldn't do that, but God definitely could do that. Verses 12 and 13 says, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, th this has to be the scene. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be amazing. Think about this group multiplied 200 times. They go out and feed everybody. Do you guys remember when I first started this off and said, Why did they go to the other side of the sea? Anybody remember? To rest, and they didn't even have time to eat. These guys are hungry. And they get to the other side, and Jesus says, hey, keep serving. Keep going. you you got to keep going. Go serve the people. 
And then Jesus says, when it's all done, everybody's had their fill. He goes, oh, by the way, go gather the leftovers. How many disciples are there? How many baskets did they fill up? Jesus provided for their very need. Those who were hungry, those who said, okay, we will obey and continue to serve, he provided for them. He provided in abundance. They wouldn't eat a whole basket worth. He provided everything that they needed. And church, guess what? He provides the same for us. When we look at it, the resource and we go, but it's just not there. It just doesn't make sense. Guess what? What's impossible with man is possible with God. And that's what he's showing. He's showing that this isn't man's equation. It's not man's way to like figure this out. Let's go find an astrophysicist who can figure out the mathematics on this. It's no, let's humble ourselves and go to God and know that he is able to do all things. That Jesus is God. We read in verses 14 and 15, we see the people, after they've had their fill, they've eaten till they're satisfied. It says, when they saw the sign that had been done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Church, if Jesus was about promoting himself, about being elevated, about being this big righteous king, that was his moment. That was the moment they were going to come and crown him king. But you know what? They had the wrong idea. Because he's more than a prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T. They were looking how they could benefit from him. That just as Moses came to help deliver them from Egypt, that Jesus was here as the coming king, and he was going to deliver them from Rome. But he came for much more than that. You see, when we come to Christ, we come to Christ. All the blessings come to us after that. But they were coming in just for a benefit. They didn't see the fullness of him. They didn't see him as Lord and God. They saw him as the prophet. Now, you know what? That's biblical. We read in Deuteronomy that God, speaking to Moses, says, I will raise up, this is Deuteronomy 18, 18. God says, I'll raise up for them a prophet like you, speaking to Moses from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. This is exactly what Jesus says over and over in John's Gospels. I don't do anything unless the Father tells me. As I speak, that's what he's given me to speak. He is this prophet that was spoken of in Deuteronomy. As a matter of fact, even this miracle that he does, they would know from the scriptures that Elisha did something similar. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42-44, we read a man came from, to Baal Shalishah, say that three times fast, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? Now, do the math there. Twenty of these barley crackers, a hundred men, they're going, that's not going to work. So he repeated himself, give them to the men, that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So they set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. So those who were in the audience who knew the scriptures and knew what Elisha had done and said, he's the prophet. He's doing like Elisha did. He took the barley loaves and he spread them and multiplied them. This is the prophet. And now we must crown him as king. He will deliver us. Church, that same mentality hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. 
There are some who only come to Christ because they see an immediate benefit. I don't want Christ in all his, his righteousness and all his glory. I want Christ just to deliver me from this. Or I want Christ to deliver me from that. I mean, we've used the example before, but those on a plane, when the turbulence hits and the mass thoughts and mass drop, oh, how many people will cry out to Jesus at that point? Oh, Lord Jesus, help! Why are they crying out to him? What do they want? No different than all those who follow Jesus and want a healing. It's temporary. And then when the flame, plane flattens out and it doesn't crash, do they even remember crying out to him? It's gone. This happens a lot. We hear people, we don't think they're a Christian. They've never seen anything about them being a Christian. But something happens, and they're like, oh, God, God, help. Oh, Lord Jesus, help. They're like, wow, I didn't know they knew that vocabulary. But just like these people who are coming for a prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, that's what they're there. It's the genie in the bottle. It's the Santa in the sky. It's the magic eight ball. It's I need something right now. But church, he's far more than that. He is Lord and God. So Jesus withdraws himself from the crowd, goes up into the Golanites. See, the people misunderstood. They want him to come and deliver them. They only wanted an immediate way to profit. But Jesus, being more than a prophet, being God, church, guess what? He is God, period. And that when we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus. But guess what the result is? We get all the blessings that are found in Christ. But we must come to Him. You see, Jesus, being Lord and God, He is the one that came in the flesh to die for you and for me to die in our place. He was going to take the full penalty, took the full penalty that we rightly deserved when he died upon that cross. He satisfied the wrath of the Father so that we might be forgiven. But it didn't end there. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. But he also rose so that we might be justified. What does that mean? It means when he rose, he clothed us in his righteousness. His righteousness was imputed to us. You see, there was a deal that was not a good deal on his end, but a great deal on our end. We gave him our sin. He gave us his righteousness. Oh, who wants that transaction? I definitely want the side I'm on, but I don't want to be on the flip side of that. But that's that glorious transaction that occurred. And the scriptures declare, Jesus himself declares, Come to me. Come to me. All you who would call out upon me will be saved. Church, for those of us that have done that, praise God. He is not, Jesus is not just a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good prophet. He's God. And he came to clothe himself in flesh to die in our place. If you haven't come to Jesus, he says, simply come. Bring your baggage, bring everything else you got, and come to Him. Come and receive Him. Trust in Him. Know that He died for you because He loves you. We know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, this Jesus, that if we would only believe in Him, trust in Him, that we would not perish but have everlasting life. See, Jesus is more than a prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T. He is everything. Let's pray, church. Father, what glorious, glorious news that we see 
what would appear before these thousands of people, it would appear a man who would go before them and do the impossible. One who would take the, these five crackers, these two little pickled fish, and would be able to feed thousands and thousands of people. And as there was a multitude of witnesses, even their response is this must be the prophet who is to come, the king who is to come. God, now that you speak to us the same truth 2,000 years later, this is the same Jesus. The same Jesus who says, come to me. The same Jesus who is Lord and God. The same Jesus who is a seeking Savior who came to save those who were lost. God, I pray anyone in this place this morning who is lost, that today they would come to Jesus. Today would be the day they turn and trust in Christ alone. To you be the honor and the glory, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.